Well, I have a little bit of a message for you guys today. It's not going to be as long as normal. Amen. <laughs> what am I supposed to do with that? Well, as, uh, as usual, not as usual, but one of the cool things about studying Scripture is, is it, Scripture itself says that it's living and active like a double-edged sword. And um, I've, I've been, see, I'm 45 now, so I've been studying Scripture almost 30 years now. And um, you come to some of the st- same passages and the same verses, and as you approach them prayerfully, just saying, God, what, what's going on here? He just kind of, it's like, how come I never saw that? You know, and so there's some things that um, I want to look at um, in regards to the theme of rejoicing today. We've been going through a series um, looking at some elements of the church in, in the United States that might be lacking. We've looked at the element of repentance, that repentance is not just a one time, I'm a sinner, save me, God, but it's, it's that posture of saying, I tend to make mistakes and I need to regularly repent. And I mentioned that quote from Eric Geiger who said, um, if I come to the end of any given day and can't find at least one thing that I need to repent of, I'm in a bad place. I like that quote. Um, keeps me humble. I talked about contentment, being satisfied with who God has called us to be, what God has called us to have, and how God has called us to serve. We talked about hospitality and loving others in, in, our, in our lives, in our homes. And last week we talked about courage. Today the theme is rejoicing. And um, I'm looking at this passage, and I kind of took a little bit of turn on what I was originally going to do. I was originally thinking of talking about rejoicing in the sense of the James passage. Consider it pure joy, brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. But I thought, that's kind of heavy for a, a Christmas message. You know, so I'm praying. I say, God, what, what is there in this passage that we're missing as far as the theme, theme of rejoicing? There's three little elements that I found in the Luke chapter 2 passage that kind of hit me. I was like, yeah, I think I could learn a little bit about rejoicing from those things. So I'm going to share those with you after we pray. So, Jesus, I just prayed you be with us today. Be with, be with my mouth. Give me uh, mercy to be able to speak things that are helpful for your purposes. Help us to grow and help us to be able to approach this Christmas season with a more accurate view of who you are and what you have done and how we should posture ourselves toward that. And I just pray that you would just bless this time of of learning for your purpose and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm actually going to be looking at Luke chapter 2, verses 9 through 14, and I did it in little two-verse chunks. I didn't do that on purpose. It's just that's where the things were popping out to me as I was reading through it and praying. And um, the first comes from verses 9 and 10 that says, And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, talking about the shepherds, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. Just try and picture this when when you're reading this passage. So, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. So, here's the first observation that I had, is the shepherds are filled with fear, and the angels told them, Fear not, but... I asked myself, well, why were they afraid? I mean, angels showed up. We've seen the precious moments, angels, right? 
you know, you know, little chubby babies with wings. Ah! <laughs> what is that? You know, I don't. Uh, what, are, what are they afraid of? And and I and I can't know for certain what what they're afraid of, but I tend to think that we 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 get afraid of the things that are strange to us, right? Maybe the situation was frightening. Maybe it was just different. They're like, what? You know, like, it's like the unknown. Have you ever been in your house and you hear that, um, you know, quote the raven nevermore, and you hear that, and you're like, oh, no. What is that? Someone's trying to break into my house, and now I'm filled with great fear, as it says in Luke 2. I'm like, oh, jeez, I'm going to get a, my weapon of choice, you know, a spatula or something. And, um, and you go over to the window and see who's trying to break in. And it's, it's some idiot moth that's just going... Like, oh, jeez, I was afraid of that, you know. It's just the fear of the unknown. But what were they afraid of? And I thought about that. And as I thought about that, I thought, maybe they weren't afraid enough. Do, do you know who God is? Do, do you know what they knew about God? And what they must have thought if this had anything to do with God? Now consider what we know about God. Think of bigness. <laughs> Think of power. Think of speed. Think of all of these attributes. We, we go to places like the Grand Canyon, and we're like, oh, it's so big, you know? We see, like, strongest men competitions, and they lift those weights, and you're like, oh, they're so strong. And then we start to look at creation. I have a couple graphics up here just to put some things in perspective here. You may have seen some things like this before. But you know which one is our planet, Right? Now, now, here's how I kind of put this into perspective. You know, who, who are, we have some globe travelers in here. I mean, we live in a, quite a large world, don't we? Very rarely does, is there someone that gets to go to many parts of the world. In fact, I remember visiting some people in the hospitals, and I remember this one lady, and I can't remember who it was, um, so if it's one of you, forgive me. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I was new here and I wanted to get to know people. And, and I was like, so you're from Pekin, you know, um, how long have you lived in Pekin? And they're like, oh, no, no, we, we moved here. You know, we're not from this area. I was like, wow, maybe they're like me. They came from Washington, D.C. or something. I was like, so where did you guys move from? And she said, oh, when I was a little girl, I, I, we lived in Tremont. <laughs> and I was like, Wow. So you're not from here, from there. It's like, well, did you ever really get to travel and go places, or have you pretty much been in this area? And she was like, um, oh, no, no, no. When I was a little girl, my, my daddy got the family together, and we got to go on a trip. I was like, oh, cool. I want to hear about this. Goes, Tell me about this trip. Where'd you get to go? So we went to St. Louis. I was like, oh, I mean, we don't really tap into the, the hugeness. I use that word a lot. I don't think it's a real word, but I like it. We don't really tap into the hugeness of the creation of this planet 
called Earth. You know, I've gotten to go to places like Africa. My wife's gotten to go to Hong Kong. And it's just a massive. I mean, when you're out in the, in the ocean and you're just like, it just goes like forever, right? Forever. Well, maybe not forever when I start to look at it in comparison because it's really not that impressive of a planet when you're talking about size, right? But then to go, we get back up a little bit because you see our sun there. But how does our sun compare? Go ahead to the next one. So there's our sun right there on that map. You see the very bottom left there? You, you, you might see a dot there, right? That's our sun. And, and we can roughly know the sizes of some of the other suns out there. Um, whoa, <laughs> whoa, <laughs> now I'm feeling really little, yeah, a little bit insignificant. Um, I have one more, right? Yeah, I have one more. If we took like those suns and put them in the center of our solar system, they would totally, this isn't the heat from the suns, this is the actual mass of the suns, they would totally engulf the first four planets in our solar system. That's how large those suns are. Now, I'm, you're wondering, you know, I thought you said this about rejoicing. You know, what, what are you talking about? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. My God just made that. Can you quantify that kind of power? Can you quantify that kind of size? I mean, that's just some stars. I and mean, this just, just keeps going into the galaxy. And God said, yeah, I want that. And then he shows up to some shepherds. <laughs> I'm like, maybe they weren't afraid enough. All right, that's just size. What about speed? I found this, um, I've seen, I don't know if you've seen this video. It's the, the helical model of, of, our, of our solar system. This is the way they, that, that they say that our world is actually moving. We always see the diagram of the sun and the planets looking like a bullseye, bullseye going around the sun well the sun is actually moving and so as the planets are going around the sun they're actually kind of into this vortex thing being sucked into its pole there and so what's happening there let me just give you a couple figures here we're talking about speed i just want you to be a little bit blown away about god for a second all right right now depending on the specifics of where you're standing we are we are moving on the earth at about 1040 miles per hour so right now as you guys are sitting here you're, you're moving 1,040 miles per hour. It's like, if it stops, we're in trouble, right? It's like, psh, whoa, what happened? You know? Well, well, the earth is rotating around the sun. The earth is rotating around the sun. It's 70,000 miles per hour. So let's see. I'm, I'm on a planet that's going 1,040 miles per hour, that's going around the sun at 70,000 miles per hour, and this next one is relative to what you would call stationary, if there's anything really stationary. But the sun, the, 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 um, the sun is moving through our galaxy. They, they estimate it about 45,000 miles per hour. Put all together, and at any given time, there's no telling how fast I'm actually moving. You know? My God said, I want to make it like this. That's freaking me out a little bit. I'm, I'm feeling really small. I, you know, I remember in high school, you know, I got, and I got to the point where I could bench press like 230 pounds. I'm like, I'm feeling pretty strong, you know? Uh, and I look at some of these, and I'm like, I'm not, wow, I'm pretty vulnerable. I'm pretty fragile. I'm pretty small. I mean, think of power. I, 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 I 
forgot, I looked it up and I forgot to write them down, but the, the power that like Niagara Falls can create, the amount of wattage that it can generate, it just blows your mind when you think about it. In fact, I came up with it, I came across this, um, this figure here, the MIT submitted to the Department of Energy that 2%, listen to these figures, 2% of the heat up to six miles below the United States could provide 2,500 times as much energy as our country needs. There's that kind of power that I'm standing on. I remember when I was at um, Yellowstone, we went on, a, on a, a trip a couple summers ago, and you're looking at all the graphs of the volcanic activity that you're standing on. And, and when you actually are going to some of the geysers and things, you actually could see evidence that that's actually under there. And you start to freak out thinking that there's a lot of energy. There's a lot of destructive power down there. But then I look at our planet... And I compare it to the power of our sun, and I look at our sun, and I compare it to the power of other suns, and then I think of my God who said, yeah, I want that. Do you have any idea the power of God? At any moment, it would be nothing. It would be an afterthought. Uh, it could just crush you. Bye. It would just be an accident, if you believed in accidents, you know? Maybe the shepherds weren't afraid enough. And they consider the majesty and power of who it actually was. Now, what's this have to do with rejoicing again? <laughs> Just think about this God for a second. He's also the God that Jesus speaks of when he says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I've longed to gather you as a hen gathers her chicks. And who is it that's gathering that? It's that kind of power. It's that kind of power. Think about that for a second. Can anyone wrench anyone out of the grip of that kind of power? The, 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 the prophets say, I have my children's names written on the palms of my hand. Can anyone take those names off of the palms of his hands? Not that kind of power. So yeah, I could be afraid... But I could also feel secure, right? I can rejoice that that God who made all of that said, I have you. You're my child. And if he says that, you're in anything that could undo that. We can rejoice at the power of the God who says, I love you. It's not, I love you, I'm doing the best I can. It's, I love you and nobody can stop me from loving you. Second thing I noticed from this passage comes from verses 11 and 12. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Now, taking what I just said about God, Unto you is born. Is born. Have you ever thought about human babies? Is there anything much more vulnerable? Is there anything much more fragile? Than a, is there anything much more exasperating? <laughs> I remember I preached a sermon on, on patience, and I think Samuel was like two years old. And so we had just 
we gotten past the, the walking thing and the talking thing was in process. And I remember thinking how frustrating it is, you know? It's like, if I want him to be there, I gotta, no, just, and then, and then here's the crazy thing is you, you, you go on like National Geographic and you watch some of these nature shows and they, they have like, um, oh, the miracle of animals giving birth. And, you know, they, you know, they give birth and the animal pops out and I'm like, mine didn't do that. Mine didn't do that. Mine just kind of, he just kind of went down there and it's like, I'm like, oh no. Why? Why? Why is it so, why is it so unique that the human baby is, um, it's so slow in developing. You know, you look at the animal world, it's really not like that. They figure it out. They know where to find food. They start walking. But babies, it's like, go. <laughs> and, and, and as I was preaching on, on patience, I realized maybe God wants this like this. Maybe he's teaching us something about who he, who he is. Maybe he's teaching us character traits that he wants us to develop. Maybe he's showing us how to value things with a different measuring tool right? It's not so much about the quality of what the kid brings. It's about the fact that I love him. I love him. And then he says, I want to come and be with my people, and I'm God. I could do anything I want, and I'm going to be born. It's a baby. Joy comes in fragile packages. Joy comes in humble places. Strength and dignity isn't really what we think. That's one of the beauties of, um, of Tolkien's uh, The Hobbit, is that you have these massive battles going on, and who's the one that's going to bring everything to end? The little three-and-a-half-foot dude, Hobbit. You know, Tolkien kind of tapped into that, that virtue of God that takes the little, the despised, the, the afflicted, the downcast, the, the overlooked... And says, I'm going to do something special with that. Isn't that just the way God works sometimes? Goliath is terrorizing us. So I'm going to, I'm going to bring my godness to him. And I'm going to bring my godness to Goliath with David. Really? I guess that's just the way he works. You know? Remember we talked about Gideon. I'm going to fight this battle with a really small army. Or Jesus is going to pick his special task force to in, initiate the church on the world. And he picks fishermen? Fishermen? And a couple tax collectors? Is this the best you can do? Isn't that just the way God likes to work? Now, why, why is this another area of rejoicing? Do you know what that means? Anybody in here who ever feels like you've blown it, you don't have anything to offer. My skill set isn't that fabulous. You might just be the kind of tool God wants. Because he loves taking fragile and vulnerable packages and doing great and glorious things with it. I can rejoice at that. That means that my feeble attempts, whether I can see it or not, rarely do we see it. We have to trust it. It's the faith thing. Whether I can see it or not, it means my fragile, feeble attempts at honoring God, God could take it and do eternal things with it. 
Isn't that, isn't that worth rejoicing over? And he said, I'm going to come to earth, and I'm going to come to earth, and I'm going to come to earth as a baby. A fragile, vulnerable. I mean, I could just see Satan thinking, oh, yeah, this will be easy to take this out. You're risking a lot, God, by coming as a baby. You know, come as a warrior. Mm. Wow, it's not like our God, is he? All that power, he's willing to come as a fragile, vulnerable package. Last thing from verses 13 and 14. And suddenly there was the angel, a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he's pleased. And as I sat on this verse and really wrestled with it, this was a really cool thought, an, uh, an observation here. The angels were rejoicing. Why? Just sit on that for a second. Why were the angels rejoicing? There's one big, huge thing going on with the birth of, of Christ. And some of, the, some of the Christmas carols talk about it. You know, reconciling. He who reconciles. He's, he's bringing man and God together, right? That's why they're rejoicing. And I think, I think we can agree on that. I think that's what's going on. But here's what really hit me. Do the angels need to be reconciled to God? No. So they're not rejoicing for themselves. They're rejoicing for you. They're rejoicing for others. They're rejoicing for God. And I thought, especially during Christmas time, is this a characteristic we really miss sometimes? You know? It's like, I don't know how your family does the gift thing. You get the whole gifts out, and it's like you're totally indifferent to who's, you know, just, am I next? Am I next? Am I next? Am I next? Oh, I wanted that. Oh, man. Our ability to rejoice in another's good is, is, is lacking. It's just lacking. I have to say that. I can envy people all the time. I could feel like I'm entitled. I could feel like, man, I deserve that. There's a lot of things we can covet. Possessions and gifts. Why do they get that? I don't get that. I've been good. That what the Santa Claus narrative teaches us, right? I've been good. I should get that. How come they're blessed with good health and they use it to eat barbecue? <laughs> and I wrestle with things all the time. That's not fair. It's not fair. I'm not going to be happy for their good health. I'm going to be jealous and upset that I don't have it. How come they always find themselves falling into good circumstances and everywhere I seem to step, it's another step of failure? Can I be happy for someone else's good or did it have to be mine? Can you be happy if you don't get anything you wanted or you don't get anything, period, and you just get to enjoy the fact that someone around you is just really excited? Because if you can do that, that's kind of the heart that God has. That's kind of the love that God has. It's kind of what the angels were doing there, wasn't it? It's not, it wasn't a, what do I get out of this, God? It was, that's so awesome. You're fulfilling your purpose. You're reconciling man to you, the creator. And that is awesome. And we just get to celebrate. Can we celebrate for the others? Think of the, the narrative with, with Jesus and Peter. So Peter denies Jesus three times. 
Jesus is crucified. He raises from the dead. He finds Peter. He has this conversation, which had to be a very awkward conversation, right? Last time you saw Jesus, you were telling him, I'm not going to deny you, and then you deny him, and now he's like talking to you, and you're like, yeah, that's not a good day for me. And Jesus was probably saying it was not a good day for me either. So, and so he says, do, do you love me? Feed my sheep. He does that whole narrative there. And then he says to Peter, there's a day when you're going to go where you don't want to go and be taken to do things that you don't want to do. And John adds in parentheses that um, it's to tell him that this is how you're going to die, Peter. Jesus was basically telling Peter how he's going to die. I'm not going to get to my thoughts on that in particular. But Peter does something interesting here. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? That's basically John's way of saying himself. He just couldn't put his name in his own gospel for some reason. But Peter turned around and saw John. And Peter saw him and he said to Jesus, Lord, what about him? This is how you're going to die, Peter. But yeah, but what about him? And what does Jesus say? If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. In other words, worry about what God's called you to worry about and be excited about the other person. Can we do that this Christmas? I don't know what your wish list is. I don't know what you're looking for under the tree. I don't know what you think you deserve from your loved ones. But let's just be happy for the people around us. And if we do that, we'll probably be a little bit like the angels. If we do that, we'll be a little bit like Jesus, right? So, I just, I just put that sheet down and I'm not done. So, here we go. Let me wrap this up. So, we can rejoice this Christmas in the fact that you can rest in the power of God. Is that something we can rest in? Yes. Second, we can rejoice in the fact that God's greatest blessings often come in small packages, which means you and I are worth something in the big picture. And finally, I'm going to tie all these attributes that we've been looking at the last couple of weeks together here. Let's humble ourselves and let's repent of our covetousness. Let's be content in our blessings. Let's share in hospitality with others. Let's have courage to do the right thing. And let's rejoice in the endless blessings of God you and I have them, whether you can see them or not. Amen? All right. Well, I hope that you guys have a Merry Christmas. Let me close this out in prayer. Jesus, well, I just thank you for who you are. I thank you for the glorious things that you give us in your word. I thank you for being breathtaking and infinite. I don't think eternity is long enough for us to get bored when I think of who you are your size and your power and your creativity. Your mercies are new every morning. You will wow us forever. And you're our God. You're our Father. You hold us in your hands. Thank you. I pray even now as we consider the season that you became flesh as a fragile baby, walked among us, vulnerable and victimized by this creation but not without purpose so that we can know you, we can be reconciled to you. Let us be people who accept this. Help us be people who believe this. Help us to be people who reflect this.
and proclaim this this Christmas. Lord, I just pray you to keep everybody here safe, keep everybody here warm, <laughs> and help us have a very Merry Christmas. Help us remember the reason for this season. We just thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.